Would you like to exchange best practices and ideas to improve care, enhance operational efficiency, and address financial challenges with your peers? Becker's Healthcare is facilitating these conversations at their 8th Annual Health IT, Digital Health, and RCM meeting. You can check your eligibility for complimentary attendance at the link in the description. We are excited to welcome you in October. This is Laura Deardell with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Lisa Griffin, Vice President of Consumer Experience and Clinical Access at University Hospitals Clinical Network. Lisa, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and really a lot uh, around consumerism today as it's evolved over the last few years. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I am my current title, as you just alluded to. I am vice president of the Consumer Experience and Clinical Access. And my purview today, I mean, I've been in healthcare a number of years, from Cleveland Clinic to University to Vanderbilt to um, Jefferson Health and also Houston Methodist. And I have always been intrigued by ensuring that our systems uh, work efficiently, our patients have easy ease of access into organizations. And my current purview is um, pre-cert, the call center. I have nurses. I have a workforce management team for the call center. I have staff across the organization as far as in the EDs, emergency departments on the front end um, in our cancer center, and also our radiology areas. And then I have QA teams, and I also have electronic revenue oversight team, and lastly, a practice optimization team, and that team is responsible to ensure that all barriers are removed at the practice level and then um, we supply practices with data and opportunities for improvement. So thank you for allowing me to give you a little bit of my background. Oh, absolutely. And it sounds like you've had some really amazing experiences that I can imagine are guiding you in, in your current role, which sounds like a, a fascinating um, place to be in healthcare, because I know things are changing so quickly. And whether it's technology or, or consumer preferences, there's a lot to keep track of and healthcare is trying to catch up. So, you know, could you tell me a little bit about some of the big opportunities you're seeing and especially um, on the consumer side and then the headwinds that you have your eye on right now as well? So I'll talk about like the foundation of what we're doing now is I'm actually um, building trust um, to increase our influence. So not just our influence with our patients, our influence across the organization, um, our influence across the community. So that's a big thing for me right now because over the last few years, um, we've lost in healthcare some credibility. Our patients have told us this, and it really boils down to us building that credibility and ensuring that our patients get the, the services that they want. And then from a technology standpoint is how can we do these things in a way that we can look at level zero solvable opportunities, so self-service opportunities, so using um, AI, moving our telephony platform over to a cloud-based 
cloud-based model, things of that nature that make us more efficient, um, where we can have kind of less hands doing those things um, that patients can either do them or consumers can do themselves, and then really using our skilled workforce to work with those patients that have other issues that are more taxing and things of that nature where they need us to actually walk them through um, processes and get them through the, to the services that they need. So one is efficient uh, technology, um, and then the other is building and establishing, uh, well, rebuilding credibility, credibility with our consumers in healthcare. That's fascinating to hear about. And, you know, in particular, looking at, I'm sure so many organizations are facing a very similar challenge in trying to regain that credibility within their community at large and uh, making it easier for patients to access care and really trust what the health system is doing. Um, where can you start with that? Or, or where have you started with university hospitals? It, you know, in terms of just rebuilding that trust and, and making that connection with people um, within the community after this past few years during the pandemic? Well, first, you have to ensure that um, you build the trust and culture internally. So I've, we actually uh, built a trust model, use the letters in trust, and we build a trust model to train across our organization so that we're ready to receive the patient in the state that they're in, you know, whether they're sick or afraid or what have you, or they don't trust us, having the skills to be able to walk the patients through whatever they're feeling when they connect with us. And so I started teaching, like, what is influential leadership and teaching our leaders how to be, how to be influencers with their team members, kind of that cascading down impact. The other thing that we do and our organization does well is we work in the community very well. So we give to the community. We work in the community. My area um, partners with our HR and also our outreach um, community um, teams, and we actually go out into the communities. So I'll give you an example. Our nursing, um, we now have a program that links us with future nurses that are in high school. So Michelle Hereford, our nurse executive, put that together. I go to our community college and work with our community college with our um, access program. They have a certification there. So we're right in that program with them. We've asked them to add some additional curriculum so that we can have um, some pre-cert individuals that can come out of that program and be prepared to take those roles within our organization. So we're very into ensuring that there's a link from the community to understand that our organization is the hospital for all people and that we care about the community um, and the health of the community. The last thing that I do personally and our teams do with um, oversight from our organization is we go into the school system and we teach um, about finance, job shadowing, um, soft skills, all of those things into the high school level so that we're preparing the next leaders in healthcare early on 
before they decide what college, before they decide those things. We want to be right there to let them know what we offer at our organization, and then that just trickles down. We go to the colleges. We do affairs at the college. Um, we just did one at one of the colleges here, Baldwin Wallace, where we went out and showed everything in healthcare that wasn't medical. So you can work in healthcare from a technology perspective, those types of things where our community knows our name, know that we're invested within our communities, and and it it just allows them to understand that um, University Hospital is the hospital that cares for me as a person. I love that. What a great way to really build out that uh, community connection and give them, um, you know, people in the community that trust and that partnership in making sure that, you know, you're working for them and with them and, and want to be in a space where you're serving the community better overall. I think that's amazing. From your vantage point, how do you think about growth and development as well as adding value to the organization. I know you just talked through some really great initiatives that you're doing to build trust. Is there anything else that you really look at in terms of providing value and how do you measure it? Well, how we provide value to the organization is, I'll give you a couple examples. One, value to our community. Um, I was challenged about a year ago by one of our board members and he was just really talking like, how do we get to a space, a time and where our patients, um, we reach out to the patients that really need to see us based on age, based on those things that you should have done. And it's kind of like um, knowing that I need to see you before I know I need to see you. So we start working on that from a growth growth perspective. Patients that potentially have gone to cardiology and, and not gone back to their primary care physicians in a number of years, we're looking and bringing that data forward so that we can reach out to those patients who have not seen doctors um, in the last few years not or established care with a primary care physician. So that's how we're, we're building our growth potential, going out, doing education sessions on prostate cancer, those things that are right in our community at a high level, whether it's AFib, you know, a cardiac issue, things of that nature. Um, from an organization perspective, Dr. Shishabor, one of our um, cardiac uh, physicians, he has done a redlining um, uh, study to show where some of the heart diseases are as, as it relates to redlining. Well, he's also very involved in ensuring that um, he looks for um, limb salvage. You know, when those patients that normally you get an amputation, he's looking at how can we salvage those limbs by other means um, with patients with diabetes and things of that nature. So it's really establishing health maintenance triggers right from our system, and we're, we're in the process of fully going and integrating to EPIC. So we've done wave one, and this weekend coming, we're going to start 
um, uh, during our template build for our final wave, which will be fully live on Epic September 30th. So really using our capabilities that are system capabilities to ensure that we're meeting our patients where they are. And if they don't know that they need to see us, we're reaching out to them. And you, you know, um, and I think a lot of people know that a dissatisfied patient tells nine others, and then it continues to cascade down. And you could see a, 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 a potential loss of revenue in the organization of a million dollars in one year just from a dissatisfied patient. So we're building triggers within the conversation or natural language on our phone calls. And, and, and even when patients want to come to us online, we're building those things, those triggers that we can actually target populations, hear things from a natural language perspective that, we, that are actionable. So if someone's complaining during a call, we're building out, um, and I've done this in another organization, so I'm bringing it here, we're building out from that language those triggers that actually go up to a supervisor or to a QA analyst that can listen um, within a short period of time, almost in real time, and actually recover service in real time for our patients. So everything that we can do to make it easier for our patients looking at outcomes from, you know, those patients who we schedule on ED checkout or hospital discharge that they don't, uh, they're not repeat <laughs> patients within those settings that we're actually looking at them as a whole person versus, you know, frequent flyers into hospitals or ED when it's something that is not appropriate for some of those settings where it could be taken care of in an outpatient setting. I love that. I think that makes so much sense and really kind of hits the core of how you can uh, connect with patients, understand what they're uh, doing, how they're feeling about their experience, uh, and then make adjustments based on that. And then too, as you talked about building into the the targeting those who you know maybe be need preventative care or, or need uh, additional care, and you should you know connect with them before it becomes to a point where they'd have to get into the emergency department or something happens you know that would really exacerbate their condition. So I think you know that's so helpful and, and just really a, a huge um, huge win for the organization and the community as well. I know that right now there's a lot happening um, and, and it's a, a challenging time for many, many organizations, but what do you see as being one risk or investment that's still worth making this year? Um, well, as I brought up, the, the one thing is in, in the middle of this bringing up EPIC um, is we feel like it is worth bringing up and also expanding our, our, um, IVR or IVA capacity, you know, where patients, you know, can really do things on their own and they don't need to speak with us, ensuring that um, we have self-scheduling tools that patients can use that are intuitive and gets them to the right, right providers. I mean, and that helps us with staffing or the lack of, you know, where we provide um, technology tools 
um, using some like uh, geo tracking kind of uh, tools or things where patients can check themselves in. They can uh, scan QR codes to schedule themselves on checkout if they don't choose to do it right there in the office. All those ways where patients have choices. Not every patient wants to move in a technology uh, framework, but what, ha what we have learned over the last few years is that patients will pivot based on those things that are available. So you see a lot more of your patient population embracing technology, um, and it's not um, fragmented, like, and ages, like, we used to always say it's older people, they won't touch it, you know, and it's just not true anymore. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times my mom says, hey, can we do that virtually? Like, it would not have been something they would have said three years ago. They would have been preparing a couple of days in advance, who's going to take us, and things of that nature, and now, you know, our patients understand they have choices. Um, so it's worth investing in, in those types of technology, intuitive technology that helps both our employees and also our patients. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, really solves a, a few different of the challenges, as you mentioned, for patients who maybe, um, you know, would have a hard time accessing healthcare in person and are able to do virtual is a great option. And then too, for the staff and team members, um, it, it just seems like a great benefit to have that option and ability, uh, you know, to, to be more virtual and, and to have it streamlined for them on the technology side. So there's not so much administrative burden on um, treating patients, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you uh, jumping on the line with me today, Lisa. And before we wrap up, I just have one more question for you. Where do you see the best opportunities for growth and development, both for yourself as well as the teams that you work with? Um, if I'm looking at growth and development for myself, um, I think that um, with my personal skill set, I have an opportunity to look across the organization and see all of the levers that, and the connectors. So for me, I've, I've done that with inside of the organization, put my doctorate in education to work. And we built this, um, this class structure that is called systemness. And we built that just to show, bring a, a co cohorts together from a development standpoint to look at what, uh, what each area does and how we're interlinking with one another. And what it does is it, it, there's a, a high level of appreciation. So for me, that is huge. The other thing that I think we have an, um, an obligation to do is to um, look at our positions across the organization and make sure that we're doing succession planning, making sure that we stabilize our workforce, give opportunities internally for growth um, as far as classes are concerned, as far as development is concerned, and our succession planning program that we put together is called, actually called SOAR. Um, and that's strategic opportunities, advancement, and readiness. 
And we put that together um, just to ensure that we bring our leaders together and it's a trickle-down effect and we have training for every job so that everyone can be available and ready for any challenges or changes within healthcare. The other thing that um, I think it was beneficial for me as a leader um, in healthcare is when we were asked to go and work in the hospitals as helping hands. And so I got to work back in like a clinical setting of in, on a hospital floor, cardiac floor, and, and a great appreciation or just a reminder of what our nurses and, and our, our caregivers on the hospital side deal with every day. And I did it for two weeks. It was pretty incredible. Um, I still get emotional about it, but I think from stabilizing in healthcare, you know, it, it's going to come down to us lobbying, us being, um, you know, really in tune with changes that are legislative changes that are affecting healthcare, changes in the insurance market, all those things. I think we have an opportunity to come together to ensure that the entire population gets the care that they need and that everyone understands how costly healthcare is. Um, with, and, and then the decisions that are made um, that could be a detriment to a, a healthcare facility. And then it trickles out into the communities. If you don't have the healthcare facilities where you need them, you know, I think we're going to have to switch a lot more in the hospital space to um, outpatient um, and preventative care. We're going to have to really kind of stick with that. So that's where my head is as far as healthcare is concerned and ensuring that um, we look at everything, labor shortages, price increases, anything that our supply chain challenges like we really have a lot on our plate in healthcare now, and I think um, I'm up to the challenge of ensuring that um, we bring people together to ensure that our communities are healthy and that our organizations, our healthcare organizations, thrive into the future. I love that. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such an informative conversation and really fascinating to hear about what you're doing there at university hospitals. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to meeting you as well in person at our health IT digital health and revenue cycle event in October. It's going to be such a great time. And I know a lot of these topics we'll talk about and really, you know, touching on those digital access points and organizational uh, technologies that help, you know, with the easing the process and workflows for staff and team members. So I look forward to that. And I'm so grateful that we had the chance to connect today. Thank you. Have a great day. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks, to help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way. Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.